This program is sponsored by Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts. Located in 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Goth Girl Horror, the Hack Slash Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Jennifer here with Comics Will Break Your Heart. On Instagram and YouTube. Yeah, it's a little bit confusing. On Instagram, you can find me on Comic Books Will Break Your Heart. On YouTube, it's just Comics Will Break Your Heart. Unfortunately, Comics Will Break Your Heart was already taken on Instagram. So, you know how it is. And tonight we are talking about an anniversary of Hackslash, issues 24 and 25 of the first ongoing of Hackslash, where Cassie and Vlad learn the origin of the slasher. And this episode has been delayed due to the original audio for this episode was unfortunately, let's just say it was destroyed, and I have to re-record it. And this episode will be up the day after we record this, which is on Mm -hmm. August 10th, 2020. And so you folks are going to have to put up with me for today. The uh, back-to-back issues are tied in together, uh, drawn by Brian Ball, Ball um, and then he continues on to 26 and 27. But the um, before we get to the issues at hand, what have you been up to in Pandemic 2020, Jennifer? Um, You know... I would say that during this pandemic 2020, it's given me a lot of time to to read. I don't know what my current state of mental and physical health was the last time I was here, but during quarantine, I did break my foot, ordered a ton of books, and last month in July, I read 100 uh, comic book like trade volumes slash graphic novels in one month. I read 100 in one month. Holy cow. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> so, Hack Slash issues 24 and 25 were uh, on sale July 29, 2009 and August 12, 2009. What were you doing in 2009 around this time of the year, which is basically around the time that we're recording, August 12th, August 10th, pretty much close enough, but that was, uh, what, 11 years ago? What were you doing 11 years ago, Jennifer? Um, 11 years ago, I was living in North Florida, and let me think, I believe about 11, um, this gets a little bit into personal history, but I believe 11 years ago in June or July, I actually got diagnosed with diabetes, uh, type 1 diabetes, uh, so <laughs> that's the only thing that I can really recall. Oh my God. Me and my partner, me and my partner had just gotten together that year, so maybe doing some moving 
I didn't know you were a diabetic. Yeah, yep, um, type 1. You are the third pitch hitter co-host I've had uh, for Goth Girl Horror, who is a di- uh, type 1 diabetic. Oh, my goodness, so it's all your fault then. Uh, I'm just kidding, I'm just <laughs> uh, If you know of the, uh, hacks, the Cassie Hack model that I have posted up on the Twitter, uh, and I've posted uh, a great many of amazing, sexy, and beautiful cosplay pictures of her as Vampirella, Black Cat, Catwoman, and uh, many, many others. Uh, Ellie Christina from uh, New Zealand is also a uh, type 1 diabetic, and she posted that right on her Instagram page just for clarity of where that information comes from. That's not private information. Um, you know, it's kind of awesome because not necessarily that – being diabetic is something that I would celebrate, but I think it's important. It's important to talk about because then you don't feel isolated and you feel like you can lead a normal life with it, I guess. Um, this time in 2009, if I remember correctly, my ex-wife and I had just moved into the downstairs apartment in the building that we were living in, I think. Nothing exciting in my life was happening, but no, that's not true. Uh, I think around this time I was also uh, my first long-term co-host for Dr. Chris's Radio of Horror was with me as well, um, uh, Christina Delbeck, and I will actually be going into detail about that on uh, Chapter Two of, uh, ch- sorry, Chapter Three of the History of Radio Horror coming up. Oh yeah, that's awesome. If you go to RadioHorror.wordpress.com, everybody, in the top link right above my post about the upcoming DC Comics Halloween specials, there is uh, the History of Radio Horror Part 2, Year 1. Episode 1 was entitled Origins. Episode 2 is entitled Year 1. Episode 3 will be entitled something else that's probably being stolen from a comic book or movie. Hence, Origins and Year 1 are both uh, uh, Wolverine and Batman's... um, you know, titles of their origin stories. Um, and then speaking of DC Comics, we're, we're, we're recording this on the day that the uh, giant news broke that uh, Warner Brothers Media has been laid, has laid off close to, uh, close, uh, some reports up to 700 people from both, from AOL, Time Warner Entertainment, Warner Brothers, DC Comics, um, and HBO. Whew. It's, you know, I feel like, it's been it's been coming, especially with coronavirus and the lack of new stuff in the entertainment industry coming out and looking forward, like, are we going to get any movies coming out? It It's very sad, and I hate to hear it happening in the comic book, indus- comic book industry. However, Stop. I hate to hear the bad news, and I hate to hear anything, you know, like this happen in the comic book industry. However... Because of a lot of the stuff that DC Comics, especially the comic book section, has done after quarantine, for instance, if you know the split from Diamond, and I feel like they were just not very good to, they didn't make any of their decisions with the comic book stores in mind, or the comic book fans in in mind, so it does not surprise me that there are some layoffs happening right now, whether that's the fault of the people who are being laid off, but it doesn't surprise me. But it's still sad to see. Yes, and uh, I'm going to make this point very fucking clear to anybody listening to this podcast, and if you don't want to listen to this podcast anymore after what I said, then that's on you, and you can go to hell. If 
anybody being laid off from Time Warner, Warner Brothers, DC Comics, AOL, any of the subsidiaries that Warner Brothers Media or the conglomerate, the giant corporation owns, makes you happy because you think you're going to finally get your way in the industry with your whining and complaining about how things uh, you think should be run, you can go to hell because there's going to be over 700 people losing their jobs who have tried to make you happy, and all you have done is bitch, moan, and complain that you're not getting your character represented in their books. I just imagine that scene from, is it Gladiator, where Russell Crowe, I think I'm getting that right, and he's like, are you not entertained? That's just what I, what I like to think. That's, is happening right now. Are you people not entertained? That is exactly my attitude towards a lot of the people <laughs> I'm seeing on Twitter, which I have privately messaged. Maybe not some of the people making these um, comments, but other people I know who follow them along with me and ask them, is this toxic fandom? Is whining and complaining that your character is not in a book toxic fandom? And they're like, you mean like the same tweet over and 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 over again every day, sometimes multiple times a day, to the creators who are trying to put out a source of entertainment for not only you but also children? Yes, that is the purest example of toxic fandom that you can possibly imagine. I think that sometimes... When layoffs happen, there's alternatives for people for work. But these are people who are losing their job in an industry that I don't see a lot of other pathways for success for them, right? Like this is an industry that is probably not going to be in an upward trend, at least not for a little bit. So these are it, it's complete, it's lives ruined. So we're going to move on with the uh, plot synopsis for issues 24 and 25. The enigmatic Sam Hain returns, and he's calling in a favor from Cassie for saving his life. All the while, the Black Lamp Society wants to create their own slashers, and they have these, like, hyper-sexualized uh, android women to be able to do it. In issue 25, we learn the origins of the Black Lamp Society and Sam Hain. Cassie and Vlad make their way into the Cedar Island Reserve, only to find that they've entered the hunting ground of something that isn't quite natural. It's kind of like a souped-up version of Pooch. Our heroes are used to taking out one slash at a time, but how can they stand up to a hundred different monsters? And Chris deals with a terrifying revelation in his hometown as a new villain springs up to confront Cassie and Vlad in the next couple issues. Issue 24's cover has two covers. It has a Tim Seeley cover with Cassie in a camp t-shirt holding a blade. Some chick on a stripper pole who's... I don't know if this is supposed to be Georgia as she is a stripper, but the girl on the cover is, like, light-skinned Caucasian. Um, yeah, it's very whitewashed. A little bit. Um, and then we have who I assume is Lisa holding a clipboard, Sam Hain, Pooch, and Vlad uh, looking over all of them. Um, and then the second cover for issue 24 has basically Cassie, like, I'm assuming nude and just like, she looks like she's made of blood. So I just have, um, because I have the digital omnibus and it always feels like I'm missing covers. So I don't actually get to see the second, the, um, you know, I think the B cover for issue 24. So I just get the, um, even when I scroll all the way to the back, it doesn't give me all of them. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. No Um, worries. So uh, issue 25 has a Marvel comic book style cover, and uh, the significance of it is Tim draws Cassie, and then uh, Stefano Caselli, who is the 
he is the co-creator of Cassie and Vlad. He uh, does the Vlad cover without Vlad's mask on. And then on the uh, border, we have all of the villains and um, uh, friends of Cassie and Vlad. We even see, like, Chris and Lisa and Georgia, um, and then most of them are rest of villains. This is a uh, uh, an homage to the 25th anniversary of Marvel Comics. Now, I say that, but last year was the 80th anniversary of Marvel Comics. How can Marvel Comics have a 25th anniversary in the 1980s and an 80th anniversary in 2019? It doesn't make any sense, right? Maybe a little bit, but... (laughs) But think about it. Do the math. If the 25th anniversary of Marvel Comics was in uh, uh, 1986, how can the 80th anniversary be in 2019? Yeah. Okay, so here's here's how it happens. The 25th anniversary that they celebrated in the 1980s, that every single comic book character got his own uh, border cover with all the current Marvel characters surrounding the face of the hero. If you Google Marvel 25th anniversary covers, you'll see hundreds of them. They all look really cool. The reason why is that's the 25th anniversary of the publication. Okay, so I'm sorry. So it would be 1961. The publication of Fantastic Four number one. Which was okay, so that's the what, what they're counting. Yes, but in 2019, when we say the 80th anniversary, we're talking about the publication of Marvel Comics number one when it was timely, which was the first appearance of the Human Torch and the Submariner. Alrighty, I see what you're doing, Marvel. And by Human Torch, I do not mean Johnny Storm. <laughs> Jennifer, do you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about the original Android Human Torch that fought alongside Captain America and the Submariner against the Nazis in World War II. I'm looking up that uh, that one right now. The 25th anniversary covers were amazing. So, like, obviously Cap was on his. The silver and red armored Iron Man was on his. Conan had, like, his goofy-looking hat. Snake Eyes was, like, on G.I. Joe. Wolverine was on the cover of the X-Men. The Black Knight was on the cover of the Avengers. But I guess Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor all had their own books. So that makes kind of sense. <laughs> yeah. The West Coast Avengers, of course, had Hawkeye. The Amazing Spider-Man had Spidey upside down. The Fantastic Four had Ben Grimm in his hat and fedora. Classic X-Men had Storm. Um, something unique like Transformers, which was being published by Marvel at the time, had Menasaur on the cover. Not Optimus Prime, not Megatron, but the combiner of the Centicons, Menasaur. So that's kind of funny. They were also publishing like Masters of the Universe at the time, so Hordak was on the cover. Care Bears had their own. Spider-Ham had his own. Yes, Folks, Spider-Ham existed before Spider-Verse. Spider-Ham! Yes. <laughs> I want to rewatch Spider-Verse so badly. I, I've just been seeing, like, glyphs, gifs and memes of it, and I feel like 40-year-old Peter Parker from the alternate universe, so... <laughs> 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 I'll take a donut. <laughs> no, it's a bagel. It's a bagel, sorry. Um, <laughs> Heathcliff, Heathcliff had one. Alf had one. <laughs> Of course Elf had to have one. Oh, my God. So, anyway, moving on with the issues at hand. But, yeah, there was that's the homage for the 25th issue of Hackslash. The credits are the same in both issues. Son of Man Part 1 and 2 has Tim Seeley, Brian Bond on art, Mark Englehart on colors, Crank Letters, production by Sam Wells, and edits by Michael Sullivan, and we've already gone over the covers. Um, and very special thanks to Mike O for years of service and a very creepy back rubs. I guess Mark Engel art gave creepy back rubs to everybody at the Devil's New Press offices. It opens up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where Vlad... Oh, sorry, it looks like Vlad, but it's actually Sam Hain, the Pumpkin Man, talking in a yellow box. Now, everyone talks in the... 
I don't have the other issues of Hackslash with me. And you have the omnibus in front of you. Flip to another yeah. comic book in the omnibus and tell me, do does all of the word balloons look like boxes like a Transformer would talk? So do all the other word balloons look like Transformer word balloons? You know, most of them do have that boxy style. However, you know, we were talking about the, um, like, Archie-like um, artwork in the upcoming issues. Those ones go back to circular. I don't know if that's necessarily a stylistic choice, but then it looks like it continues with the circular, um, circular style of word bubbles and definitely that like, uh, vintage homage. Um, there's some, um, other stuff like, you know, uh, vintage looking, uh, comic book. <laughs> yeah. It, it looks like just boxy and, um, these one and the next one. I like how everyone got my joke about Gwen Stacy. I posted a picture of Peter and Gwen holding each other, and I post and my comment below it was, you know, P- dating Peter Parker is a real pain in the neck. Oh no, oh, no. too soon. Too soon. She got killed forty years ago. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> no, she's older. Than, oh, sorry, that's older than that. She got she got killed like back in like nineteen seventy two. Who sixty years now? I mean, I don't know what with Marvel's math on their anniversary. No, I'm just kidding. Forty eight years. Forty eight years. Uh, okay, so back to the issue at hand. So Sam Hain accosts this guy at a bar. My question, uh, going back to what I was saying, was he talks in a yellow balloon. What do you think his voice sounds like? You know, I was kind of having this. I want to say that it's like deep and raspy. That's that's just how I imagine it. But I don't know if the the word balloon bubble things are indicative of that. But that's just how I imagine it. That it's you know, that maybe he has that, like, smoker's Tom Waits voice. Maybe. Um, that's that's probably one way of uh, thinking about it. But he wants information on where they're holding Ava Park and scares the hell out of some guy in the bathroom. Um, I do now, like Brian's uh, cartoony style to how he draws everybody in these two issues. Um, in this one where he... He basically brings the guy... What's his name? Louis. Louis. I imagine it's Louis because they're in... Louisiana, um, but he takes him into the bathroom, and I guess it's inferred that the guy pees his pants. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, and then it says, uh, not one word, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> because he sees one guy exit a stall after another guy. It, it definitely raises some eyebrows of, like, okay. <laughs> hey, no kink shaming. <laughs> I, you know, maybe he's into masked men into, you know, masked men at clubs or whatever. So I, I don't know, you know, whatever you're into and whatever you're you into. love. <laughs> um, Cassie and Vlad drop off Georgia and Georgia lays a kiss on Cassie, but she does not reciprocate. Dun, dun, dun. This part was kind of not sad for me, but just seeing that everything they had gone through in the previous issues and that will they, won't they... And, you know, Georgia shows Cassie some affection, and it is definitely unrequited. Mm, definitely. Um, definitely makes me realize that Georgia and Cassie do not sleep together, I think, until something that would come later on, because Sam Hain becomes a permanent part of this book until something that happens later on. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of that inferred, like, did they or did they not have an intimate relationship beforehand? They did so, not. Yeah. They definitely did not. I don't like the way Vlad is drawn. Uh, he looks really ghoulish, but, I mean, I love the way Cassie is drawn. I can't deny that. I mean. Oh, for sure, and her outfit here. 
Like, I would kill for that. You would kill for that outfit? Just yeah. fishnets? Which, basically, that that's pretty much all that is, because there's another page coming up where she has... She is just lying down in the van, and she is just wearing the fishnets. The bra is off, the skirt is off. It's just fishnets. It's like, why even bother keeping those on? <laughs> yeah, why, why at that point, like, you're not really leaving anything to the imagination? Like, is that even comfortable at that point? But, you know, you do you, Cassie. We switch over to a pub in Indiana where Chris is stumbling drunk out of a bar and picked up by the local sheriff to be brought home. All the while, we learn something about Lisa coming up. Uh, Cassie and Vlad go over to the local beach where uh, Sam Hain goes into the long-awaited origin of the Slashers. The society follows the teachings of an alchemist named Akios. He is believed they were two distinct breeds of humanity, one superior, possessed of higher intellect and strong morality, another inferior, prone to sin and debauchery. Akikos pointed out Bacchanalia, Jesus Christ, rituals Bacchan- held by... Bacchanalia. Thank you. By Roman liberti- uh, li- liberty, uh, libertines in protest of restrictive social uh, laws. As evidence among his followers, these inferiors became known as children of Dionysus after the god of revelry and wine. Okay, let's back this train up a little bit. Do we have any information on the alchemist named Akios? There, there seems to be a little bit. I mean, there. They talked about the on the um, actually. Hold on a second. I, I meant, I meant on actually on the internet. Oh, I meant in like that. I don't know. I meant yeah. I'm sorry. I meant in real life. Like in real life, not just pretend in fake life. A K A K A K I O S A K A K I O S. Meetings, origin, history of the name Akios Akikakos. I, I struggled with how to pronounce this, and the closest thing I could even come up with was Akakios. That was the closest thing I could even relatively come up with. From a Greek word meaning innocent, not evil, derived from a negative prefix combined with another word meaning evil, the name of three early saints, two of whom were martyred. It's a lot of Greek. There is... No comprehensible way to go into what Aki, Aki, Ak, Akakios. I'm not even saying it pronounced. I'm not even pronouncing it correctly. Uh, I just had to guess. I just had to throw throw what it sounds like phonetically, but I'm probably butchering it as well. The images that are being described by Sam Hain have naked women dancing around a fire and making out, and then some type of like devil voodoo looking zombie rising up um, and says that during his tri- travels Akios discovered a small African tribe who regularly used a plant with many unusual properties. When burned, it created a black flame which is the Black Flame Society and when its nectar was injected into a corpse, the body would regain a semblance of life and the plant was used respectively in its moderation. Inevitably, the plant's effect on the brain wore off, leaving only a starving, unliving beast that fed upon living flesh. So I guess that's where we get zombies from. Um, yeah, this definitely, it felt like a lot of those early horror movies with zombie origins. This, I feel like, was uh, like definitely a callback to that. Right. Uh, so Cassie and Vlad decide to team up with Sam Hain, much to Vlad's dismay because they can't trust him, but, Vlad, but Cassie vouches for him because she said, he did save my life, and that's a win in my book. Vlad, of course, has skepticisms about Sam just based on who he used to work for. Because Sam Hain, as we learned in a previous issue, put mentally challenged um, 
young detective Cat in a coma, which she would remain in from the ages of 12 till 22. I think also, you know, just kind of seeing the relationship between Vlad and Cassie, I feel like Vlad is, even though he's very protective of Cassie, he is also very suspicious of anyone he that's going to be a threat to their relationship. Yes, uh, absolutely, which is why he has such uh, apprehensions about uh, Georgia uh, in a lot of ways, because he seems to want to have uh, Cassie to himself, only because Cassie is honestly his only friend, and the only person that doesn't run in disgust and terror of him. Mm -hmm. Switching over to the Black Flame Society, we have a character that kind of reminds me of Jason Wynn from the Spawn movie. Watch as the pooch-like dog creatures devour a guard... As um, uh, one of the guy, one of the uh, the heads of this uh, committee is uh, making out with some fembot of some kind, or genetically engineered fembot of some kind. She's like apparently got both sexes, but she's a I, I don't know what she is because they eventually find her completely ripped open, and Vlad, and Vlad points out uh, she has both parts. You know this. Um like, I really liked, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert, like, there was a little bit of a redeeming character arc for, I think they refer to her as the Venus model, but I didn't like that they they pointed out that she had, you know, she's a woman, but she's got, like, boy parts, too. I felt like that was kind of one of those jokes that you're not laughing with someone, but it felt like they were laughing at it and making, you know, someone who doesn't fit into the gender binary part of a joke. So that's if I had to have a criticism of this story, that would be, that's the lens that I see this through. I like how Vlad, Cassie, and uh, Sam Haynes suit up. Vlad has a giant chainsaw, Cassie has an axe, and uh, Sam has his signature slasher weapon, a knife. <laughs> and that's all he needs. That's very much, that's the point, is that we've, we've seen him work before, and hey, do you, want, do you want another weapon? Nope, all he needs is the knife. While Chris is sleeping with Pooch, Lisa discovers that she is pregnant. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Use a condom. (laughs) She calls... Cassie calls the Venus a fucking elf. I don't understand that at all. I don't understand. She's wearing a shawl and a bra. She doesn't look like an elf. She doesn't have pointy ears. I don't get it. You know, and especially, like, when I think of, like, elves... I do think of Lord of the Rings, and I don't see any type of, like, especially, like, that's the marker for me. I see nothing of that imagery on here. Maybe other than the wispy clothing that she's wearing, that's probably the only thing that I could think of. So she gets killed, and Vlad, Cassie, and Sam go to investigate as the creatures loom near. And then in issue 25, we switch over two years ago where we have Sam Hain all trussed up with all his uh, implant uh, Frankenstein-looking laboratory. Basically, they're building the ultimate slasher uh, that uh, Ava seems to have the hots for because she starts uh, undressing completely to have sex with him, chained up before she sets about on his mission to do the uh, Black Flames bidding. It seems as if Sam Hain is totally into this, whether he enjoys the fact that he's tied up or he just wants to be in her company, he is all for it. Consensual, not, uh, consensual, non-consensual, that's what I call it. Yep. Safe, safe, sane, consensual. What do you think Sam Hain's safe word would be? Uh, stab. 
stab knife. <laughs> knife stab. Because um, he's about to stab her with his knife. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, oh! By the way, I don't know a lot of super sexy uh, um, scientists that look like this. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they're out there. Uh, this kind of reminds me of a joke that was on the Big Bang Theory about Bernadette was asked to pose for a calendar of super sexy scientists, and uh, Amy felt as though that, that is a betrayal of everything that female scientists uh, should stand for because it's glorifying her body and not her brain. And Bernadette's like all fucking for it because nobody's ever asked her for that before. And she points out to Amy that maybe you're just jealous because you weren't asked. I'm not a huge fan of the Big Bang Theory, but I think that, you know, there doesn't, I've talked about this before, like even on this show, like how women can be both. And as long as it's women wanting to be both, then it's absolutely fine. You can be sexy and you can be smart. And, hey, smart is sexy. And the actress who played Amy in real life, I forgot her name, but, you know, she was Blossom once upon a time. Uh, she's actually, she, is, she was the only member of the cast who actually has a Ph.D. Uh, she's a, I think she's a physicist. She was a psychologist. She she does. I do know that she she is a scientist. Like she has her doctorate. Yes. Um, but maybe yeah. not a physicist, but she was definitely. She was. Uh, she left her job at a university to join the the Big Bang Theory full time. I believe her name is is it Malam Bayek? Yeah, something is. like that. You know what's funny is that she was on a TV series Blossom back in the nineties. That's where a lot of people know her from. Um, that series was created by a guy who played a scientist in a 1970s television show where after being bombarded with uh, high-intensity gamma radiation, every time he became angry, something happened. Yes, um, Blossom was created by Bill Bigsby, former uh, Dr. Bruce, uh, Dr. David Bruce Banner of the Incredible Hulk television show. A quick Google search shows that she does have a degree in neuroscience, and her early roles included... Um, let's see here, Pumpkinhead, The Facts of Life, and Beauty and the Beast. So Cassie and Vlad have to take on all these weird yellow giant creatures that, again, kind of remind me of Pooch in some way. Uh, Cassie strikes quite the pose with the uh, with the shotgun, where uh, it's like at this angle and her hair is in the middle of her face. Um, her fishnets are showing and everything. But then she gets her arm chomped on, and it's like, Jesus Christ, that would take off anybody's arm. Do you see her arm in that thing's mouth? Because it's the panel on the um, like bottom of the page, and I'm like, the way that she's contorted, I feel like this animal would just throw her back and forth, like basically play with her like food. I don't know how she survives this, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's absolutely crazy. Um and then of course through the entire ordeal, her costume costume, I'm using quotations you can't quite see it and no one can on the podcast, gets shredded. I posted an image of her drawn by Tim Seeley, of her jumping into the air wearing a bikini and Jason like cutting his knife across the top of her bikini. <laughs> Her tips completely falling out, and her diving into Jason or whatever, like with an uppercut slash down with her knife. It's an amazing image by Tim, but it's definitely a requested piece of fan art of like, I wanted to be sexy, but like Jason, you know, and maybe have like the titties just like falling out or whatever. And I'm just like, I guarantee someone had to ask him to draw it this way. <laughs> 
You know, to be honest, because you say that her her outfit just progressively gets more and more torn off. Like, I feel like in every single issue, this she just has a wardrobe malfunctions. Every issue, there's got to be at least one wardrobe malfunction. Now, in her defense, and in Tim's defense, and in Brian's defense, for anyone gets very uppity about this conversation I'm having about her destruction of her wardrobe and her boobs and just body being exposed, if you have ever played any of the Batman Arkham games, what happens to Batman's costume for the entire game? <laughs> Maybe that's where they got the inspiration for Batman Damned, number one, where we get to see a little bit of Batwang. Maybe, maybe. I mean, that that's just Batman just taking off his clothes and relaxing. True. But uh, th- th- these creatures have um, opposable thumbs because the one comes up right behind Sam Hain and just stabs him in the back with a syringe. It's like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> like, are they, and it's like wearing this utility belt, like, and this, like, mohawk. And when, to your point, you were earlier saying, like, these look like Pooch. Like, I honestly, when I first saw these, I'm like, is this where, like, Pooch came from? Is this another, like, alternate universe? Are these other Pooches? So as we move on, I have to point out that Vlad's outfit is badass. Uh, He's got this giant fucking trench coat on, and he just looks like a fucking badass when he says, leave her, I'm assuming he's like, leave her alone, and he blows the back of the head off of one of the creatures wearing that badass-looking trench coat, and then he's got a half-naked Cassie in one of his hands, the shotgun in the other, and then he goes running down a hill, again, holding a half-naked Cassie, and she looks like a little child, you know, a little micro-child in his arms. (laughs) For sure, like, she just looks maybe like a a half his size like she is just tiny in his arms over um back to uh indiana uh chris is feeling um the uh burden of pending fatherhood upon him and pooch tries to give him some uh uh words of wisdom and it's absolutely disgustingly horrible horrifying story about his his mother yeah gross uh, <laughs> then we switch over to Jesus Christ. This okay. I got to point out these two issues are like an episode of Game of Fucking Thrones. Switch over to Chicago, Illinois, where you know a bunch of terrible things happened this past weekend. Yeah, we're introduced to our new character for the next upcoming issues. I think she's La Muerta, which is uh, funny enough. Um, she's dressed up kind of like a sexy cowboy uh, bartender. In the Brian Polito universe of Coffin Comics with Lady Death, there is a Punisher-style vigilante woman called La Moreta that runs around right now. Hmm, so I don't know if we'll ever get a crossover of that, but hey, who knows? Probably not. People have asked before about why Cassie has never crossed over with Lady Death, and I, and I don't know. I mean, I know Tim recently told me in his last appearance on my show that he doesn't want to be known as the crossover guy, and he just did one. I was going to say, I feel like most of the the issues that I really enjoy were crossovers, and those are usually the ones that are the most well-known. Like, I loved the Chucky one. Sorry. Um, So she decks out to go save, I'm assuming, her roommate? Maybe her lover? I don't really Mm -hmm. know. And the guy pours himself another drink while she goes to take care of that. Cassie and Vladder continue surrounded by the monsters... And he says um, to Vlad, uh, sorry, Vlad says to Cassie, I know I am not your boyfriend. I am not your person you will marry and make the sex with. 
but I do not like to share you, Cassandra. I do not like to share you with anyone. And then she says, I know, as they are basically about to die together. Like this, uh, you know, last words. Like, what's your one last confession? Like, last moments on Earth. Right. And then the another version of the Venus model shows up in Bra and Shaw, and she electrocutes all of the monsters. As the monsters brought um, Sam Hain, the pumpkin-faced uh, demon, the jack-o'-lantern assassin, the Black Lamps' pet paladin, back to uh, to be Frankenstein upon. I love how you just used Frankenstein as a, like as a verb. As a verb. <laughs> um, and he gives them like this full-on like lobotomy. It's 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 crazy. Uh, Cassandra is like completely messed up. I mean, she is cut and she is bleeding and she's probably freezing to death because she is pretty much naked outside of bra and panties. And then you have uh, the Venus model just splashing water on her face, like wake up. <laughs> And the Venus model goes into more detail about the black uh, lamp, uh, bla- the the society, um, and how that they were able to bring about the slashers through uh, genetic experimentation and the using of the Dionysus and the um, uh, okay the the line between Cassie and Vlad where uh, they they discovered that the uh, the, the the Venus model models were. Not not necessarily transgender, but they're basically hermaphrodite creatures, um, genetically bred for to summon the slashers and stuff. Cass, uh, Vlad says this is why the last Venus girl had her um, big fat elf cock. Again with the elf, I don't understand the elf. Yeah, I don't see I don't see these characters as elfish whatsoever. But maybe that was just a miscommunication between Kim Seeley's script. And what the artist interpreted it as, but, you know. The Society has long sponsored human breeding experiments. Their earliest attempts were in pursuit of more intelligent and morally prone individuals to purify their ranks for the coming apocalypse to them. The experiments were no more inhumane than breeding a better lap dog or a meteor cow. Over a thousand years of controlled mating, they created several specialized human breeds. They called these creatures the Son of Man, the Poseidon were able to hold its breath and swim naturally well. The Hades could see in the dark, and their, no, their most successful creations were the Artemis, bred as hunters and killers, and the Venus, bred as companions and sex slaves. Sales of the Artemis and Venus provided the society with ample funding. Wealthy uh, hedonists purchased uh, harems of perfect lovers, while governments and militants employed Artemis squads to hunt down their enemies. And as science and technology evolved, so did those the sons of men. So the slashers are all connected in some way to this society as experiments as hunters. The, they're the uh, they're the Artemis. We have this by bi- these bioengineered. I don't know whether they would be cyborgs or androids, what they are, but they're basically um, bred for whoever the buyer wants them to be. And they're basically saying that all of these creatures are connected. The um, the the super creatures also seem to be able to hold like bows and arrows because the Venus gets one right in the middle of her arm. Ouch! I love how so in in um, like a couple panels, you know, spoiler alert, she ends up hitting someone with this arrow that's in her arm, and I'm like, that's a lot of skill right there. I definitely know I couldn't do that. Uh, one of these Frankenstein abominations shows up to kill uh, the girl uh, Monica. And that's when the barmaid shows up and she says something in Spanish that I can't even pronounce and it freezes the creature in place. 
and he's horribly disfigured. Like, he is half-sewn, has horrible-looking teeth. He's absolutely horrifying. Switching back to the battle at hand, uh, Vlad picks up the Venus model and runs for it with Cassie as the creatures start making this eerie uh, hee-hee mating call sound. Um, Ava plans on killing Sam Hain, but she ends up getting the blunt of his knife instead, bleeding pretty badly all over the floor, and he's basically programmed to kill her in a uh, very gory manner. That black flame is is kind of his Achilles heel, his kryptonite. He he can't do anything about about it. And so he just, you know, pins Ava to the wall and unbeknownst to him, does the deed. He's almost about to kill uh, Cassie uh, as well, but uh, it, they're able to snap him out of it um, just by killing the uh, the head of the society, or at least one of the heads of the, of the society, and it stops him from doing it. And he, you know, he almost asks Cassie to kind of like kill him because he's nothing but a, uh, you know, uncontrollable animal. But she, she doesn't quite do it, and he uh, straps the society. Um, head to a, I don't know, some type of, I'm assuming the same gurney that he was tied to, and uh, launches him away. And he's got the, like, the camera going. He's, like, just doing this whole snuff film the whole time. Yeah. Um, And the whole island then blows up, and they leave all of the uh, creatures there who don't seem to have any minds to themselves. They seem to be intelligent enough to hold, like, weapons. They also remind me of um, those Chitauri space dogs from Avengers Infinity War. Uh Uh-huh. Like a weird combination of that and a laughing hyena, but at the same time, like, with pooch. Yeah, it definitely feels like there's some of that that pooch um, DNA mixed into all that. And so, like, they even, like, there's this one panel where they all just look like dinosaurs, and they see this, as the island is exploding, they see just this, like, I don't know, what looks like a meteor above them about to blow everything up, and they're just like... And then uh, Ava finally gets some clothes on, which is great. Relatively, and so does Kelsey. Yes, finally. Uh, It took two issues, but they both finally have clothes on. (laughs) So this should last them for the rest of the series, then? Uh, I don't think so. No. And, I mean, so they're, they're in this, um, this bathroom, I was going to say, like, a rest stop bathroom, but it's a, a convenience store gas station bathroom, and I feel like they kind of have this, like, these charged moments between them, but we know that's not going to happen. Uh, which two characters? Cassie and Venus. Oh, yeah, I could totally see that in, um, you know... Cassie and Vlad have a moment where she says, it doesn't matter to me what you look like. Nothing comes between that. There's not going to be any more romances or crushes. It's just us. You're my guy. And they feel, they feel very happy. And then, and then um, Sam mentions the kiss that him and Cassie shared, and Cassie is blushing about it like it's no big thing. But it, to her, it actually did mean something. Like, she actually felt something with that kiss, whereas when Georgia kissed her, she didn't. So at the end, because this is how the issue ends, like, it literally right after it says the end, and you see Cassie blushing, and I was like, well, is it is she blushing because of what, the kind of stuff that's going on between her and Vlad, or is she blushing because of Sam? Even though she said no more crushes, it's like, really, really, Cassie? 
I think it's because she can actually connect with Sam. A, he's this giant, attractive, hunky-looking man. And B, Georgia, as sweet as she is and attractive as she is, and Cassie does have feelings for her being into girls, cannot anyway, shape or form, penetrate Cassie's world like Sam can. And that's because he is a serial killer just as much as she is deep down inside her. Yeah, and I think that she, even though Cassie and Georgia are, you know, bonded by trauma at this point, do you think that Cassie would feel guilty if Georgia was brought into this lifestyle? Because a couple of issues ago, one of the ones where we last, um, where I was last on, you know, it's like this will they or won't they, will they commit? Um, Cassie's having this, like, midlife crisis on what she wants to do with her life. And so I feel like in this, Cassie almost wants, would prefer someone who she won't have guilt about bringing her into this life, because it's not for everyone. No, and that comes up in the comic books big time uh, much later on, where I'm still very far away from that plot line. But um, Cassie thinks she can have everything with with, with Georgia, but honestly, in the very end, she really can't. That's just, that is not her life. Um, as much as she wants it to be, it just, it can't be. Can't have your cake and eat it too, Cassie. Can't be with, uh, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Exactly. And that's what happens with her and Sam. I mean, I'm, again, almost positive that her and Sam probably sleep together before uh, her and Georgia finally completely hook up. It's probably like, even like just a comfort food, you know? I believe so. I think she does love Georgia, and I think with Sam, it's something else. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she, of course, um, you know, well, something happens between her and uh, Ashley Williams of the the Evil Dead universe, uh, which we will get to one day, which I was at the drive-in a couple weeks ago, and I saw Evil Dead 1 and 2 back-to-back at the drive-in. Oh, man. uh, Opened up with a message from Bruce Campbell about staying the fuck home and wear your fucking mask. I am so jealous. Um, there is, here in Portland, there's going to be a um, movie shown in a park, and they're doing a drive-in, and they're playing Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I was so ready to just pounce on it and get tickets, but you have to stay in your car the whole time, and I actually don't have a car. I just got rid of mine, so I can't go because I don't have a car. That sucks. Yeah. So I'm super jealous of your drive-in movie experience. You don't have any friends that have a car that can go to the drive-in? Do you have any drive-ins in your in your area? Because I live pretty much downtown, so there's not really any drive-ins here. Like, I would probably have to drive mm, 30 minutes, maybe an hour on transit or something. The ads, wah, wah. The ads for this issue have the same Battlestar Galactica ad we've seen multiple times. We have the Barack Obama Barbarian ad. Um, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, Coming up on Goth Girl Horror, the Hack Slash podcast, for Halloween, there will be two episodes coming out. One is the Hack Slash versus the Halloween Man issue, who is not Sam Hain. Halloween Man is a privately creator-owned character um, who's uh, who I've tried to have on Radio of Horror in the past, and I plan on having on for um, Goth Girl Horror. The second episode of the upcoming October month of Goth Girl Horror will be entitled Hack slash the motion picture, question mark, question mark, question mark. Tim Seeley, Tim Seeley, creator of Hack Slash, will be back on the show 
talking about what the fuck happened to all the various versions of the hack slash movie. You know, there's also one particular thing about Cassie I noticed is kind of missing from her from her look. And I'm wondering if this is because every frickin' artist would have to draw it every single time that she's in some form of undress, is that Cassie has no tattoos. Oh, she doesn't, does she? No, and I thought that was very interesting. And I, I thought about asking Tim about that, but I, I'm just curious if his answer is going to be it's because we would have to draw them over and over and over and over again. You know what I mean? And if the continuity between how they look or whatever doesn't look right, it's going to look kind of stupid. So they decided to make her, you know, just plain skinned. You know what I mean? No, nothing on her skin. Um, yeah, and especially because um, with most of the, like, each arc, like, you know, every two to three issues, there's been an artist change. And so you see different artist styles reflected in that. And it could even be, you know, we see, um, you know, just making this up, like a bird tattoo on her leg. Well, the style may change from book to book, or an artist may be like, well, I forgot it or something. But you would think that Ka- what kind of tattoo? If if Cassie was going to have like a tramp stamp, what should she? What would she have? Some type of blood splotch, maybe, or a pumpkin, or a bat. Yeah, I could see that. You were, of course, covered in tattoos, and we are unfortunately running into um overtime with this show. So the next time you come on the show, we will definitely have to get into uh, some of your um, amazing body art because there, I think, there has been like ca- uh, hack slash villains with uh, crazy body art on them. Um, so maybe we can tie it into that if we get a chance. Why don't you give away uh, your social media where people can find you once again? Oh, if you want to find me on Instagram, it's Comic Books Will Break Your Heart. On YouTube, it's Comics Will Break Your Heart. So one last word to type in there. Twitter, which I rarely ever go to because Twitter just, I don't get it. But you can still find me on there reposting and retweeting some things at Gin and Comic Show, which is what I went by before I did the little name change. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with another exciting episode of Goth Girl Horror, the Hack Slash podcast. Uh, This episode will not be an issue of Hack Slash, but an issue that Cassie and Vlad guest star in. Living Corpse, annual number one, with both of the Living Corpse creators on Goth Girl Horror. Gonna stop tonight Let the villains know That she's looking for a fight